folks. I know Ernest shared last week and TD here, and I'm sure there's others. If you'd like to let us know, um, we want to put them before you just so if you want to be able to perhaps um, obviously pray for and support financially, you can talk directly to them and, and find out what that looks like. Um, man, um, it's been a crazy week, huh? <laughs> Is, um, sometimes, I mean, I don't know if you're watching the news at all this week, but it's like you're watching stuff and you're like, oh, my goodness, that's like a mile down from my house. It's just a surreal thing. Um, so my goal for us today is pretty simple. I want us to pray in a little while. But um, as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who would say we know him, how then should we pray? So I'm going to look at a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 6. I think we have it up on the screen, but if you want to pick up the Bible uh, in the benches there, feel free to take those Bibles with you if you don't have one. This is page 691. And this is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And this is Jesus instructing his followers how to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we look at this famous introduction to what we would call the Lord's Prayer, what did Jesus mean when he taught us to pray for the kingdom to come? And for God's will to be done. And I think for us to better understand that, we need to understand this idea of kingdom of God. And kingdom is just, for most of us, is just a topic we have no clue what we're talking about when we say kingdom. Um, you know, you're either thinking like little babies being born in England right now and kingdom or like Game of Thrones kind of stuff, kingdom. Um, but when we're talking here in a biblical sense, most simply, the kingdom of God, we're talking about the reign of God. We're talking about God ruling and, and that the kingdom of God is not just a physical rule or it's not even a particular people or even just a set time, but the kingdom of God is defined by the king and his ruling reign. So wherever you find God reigning, there you find the kingdom being lived out, being manifested. So we see that the kingdom, it also has very much to do with the will of God. It has to do with the desires, the purposes of God. So wherever you see God's purposes, his desires being lived out, you also find the kingdom being lived out. So in one sense, we would affirm God's kingdom is fully lived out in heaven. In heaven, there's just not even any doubt about it that who God is and his purposes, his desires, his will, it's perfectly shown in heaven. And in this prayer here, what Jesus is saying is, what you imagine uh, God is doing and, and, and desiring in heaven, may we now pray that that would be shown here on earth as well. But the thing is, if you and I, if we're realistic about it, um, and we look around, even, I mean, even in our city this week, some, some things that happened, or our world, you could doubt, you can say, so I don't, I don't fully get it. So Jesus came like, you know, like 2,000 years ago, and, and he's saying, now the kingdom come on earth that is in heaven, it doesn't feel like heaven. <laughs> it, it feels a little jacked up, to, to be honest. Um, but but we, it helps us to understand when we think about God's kingdom in a sense of it's already, but it's also not yet. That, that in a sense, what, when we talk about kingdom, if, if we want to see the fullness of what God's kingdom looks like and what it will mean, um, we have to ultimately ret wait for the return of Jesus Christ to this earth as he has promised. That one day he will come back triumphantly returning. But at the same time, until that day, because of the entrance of Jesus Christ into our world, he has ushered in the kingdom. And we can experience an, an increasing manifestation of that. 
that since Jesus entered this world and announced his coming in our days, we will see a growing and growing manifestation of what does God's kingdom look like. So, so if you would say you're a follower of Jesus, what that means for you then is that you are primarily a citizen of this kingdom. What this means is that if someone asks you your primary identity, you don't say uh, two on two on one or you don't say Asian American or you don't say, um, you know, foreigner or you don't you, you say I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. That that's foremost, first and foremost, everything else is real. But first and foremost, if you are a child of God, you're a citizen of his kingdom. And as citizens of his kingdom, um, our life task is to live out those kingdom values in our lives and in our world. That's the call, the challenge that God has given to us. So it means that we affirm the rule of God in our lives and, and where we are right now. We pray that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done in every single human act. That we pray as the kingdom is shown, it, it would be shown in power and righteousness and peace and joy as the Holy Spirit works through us and, 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 and in us and through us. And, and that we can be confident that the kingdom of God is here in our midst because Jesus himself is in our midst as he came and as he sent his Holy Spirit. So if we boil it all down, when, when you and I, when we say this prayer, and some of you, you've memorized this prayer since you were a kid, maybe you say it, you don't even know what you're saying anymore. But when we pray for the kingdom to come, for God's will to be done, we are bringing ourselves under the authority of the king. We're saying, Lord, you reign, you rule, you are the boss here, and I, I'm not the boss, you're the boss. And we're declaring your will is the priority for our lives. And we're asking him to actually overrule our desires and establish his purposes for our lives. So that, that's all good, and I, I hope it's good. I mean, I think it's good, but... What does that mean for us as we consider even even our city right now, you know, in, particularly in light of events that have occurred uh, primarily this week, but have been boiling over? And I'm going to say this has been a really weird week for me personally, just just me personally, because I'm watching the news Monday evening. I mean, we prayed here and we had a good prayer meeting here and just really moving, um, watching the news throughout the night, seeing all this. And I woke up Tuesday morning, and my kids, uh, you know, they didn't go to school because they canceled all school. And I opened the door. Uh, we live in Hamden. Beautiful, gorgeous, sunny day. You would have no clue that literally just a couple of miles away, the city was, like, burned up and, and devastated. You would have no idea. People walking around smiling and, you know, kids happy because they didn't go to school and some of them not knowing why they didn't go to school. Um. It, it, it was a weird kind of feeling for me to get up and experience that. And, and just throughout the week, um, processing all that's going on, obviously Baltimore was at the center of a lot of media attention, a lot of political pundits, a lot of social commentators, a lot of discussion on what's going on here. And just different thoughts that I've been processing is uh, it's, it's easy for a lot of people to throw these different truths of what's been going on without fully recognizing and maybe even throwing out different statements. like, And we have to resist these easy temptations to say, you know what? This is a result of people just not making better choices. 
every person can make a choice of what they do. And this, these, this is just a whole group of a motley crew of folks who didn't make good choices. Or, man, this is the breakdown of the family. If these parents just raised their kids better, we wouldn't be having all of this outbreak throughout the city. And I'm, I'm not saying that those factors are not at play. I think that's real. But I also suggest I don't think it's as simplistic as that. Because when we, we recognize that when we talk about sin, when we talk about the causal nature of sin, it, it's, of course, there's a personal matter. We just even talked about that, right? Every person has to have an account for their own sin. But it's not merely a personal matter. Sin also affects systems. Sin also affects cities. So, yes, we affirm personal responsibility. And, you know, <laughs> this week, I, for some reason, uh, God has given me an opportunity to have different, you know, people have contacted from different media outlets to write things, to do interviews, to speak. And some of the stuff I put out there, I mean, I think overall there's been a pretty good response. Or maybe you just hear from the people that have good response. Um, but, man, <laughs> I've gotten real pushback from a lot of people. I mean, I've got folks, like, contacting and commenting in different places saying, man, this is one of those pastors that's really soft on sin. This, and then I'm joking to myself thinking that, that if anyone from our church heard that I'm being accused of being soft on sin, you would just start laughing. Because some of you think I'm like a Bible thumper fundamentalist, right? You'd be like, really? But, I mean, that's some of the stuff. I, I believe in personal ownership of sin. I, I, I really do. And, and, you know, we can't just shift blame. And, and I think that's real, even from the events of this week. And as a Korean-American, it's been a really, um, uh, just a whole mix of emotions. Because a lot of the businesses that were burned up or looted were uh, Asian, Asian-owned, Korean-American-owned, Korean-owned. And you hear the anguish and, and just the despair of people who've poured their whole lives into business and working hard and to have it all taken away in one day. I mean, that's real. And even as their celebration a couple of days ago, um, just for many eyes, justice being known in our city with these indictments, there, there's people who've had their lives just thrown upside down who are saying, where's justice for me? So this, I mean, this stuff is real. It's not that simplistic. Are, are you seeing it? It's complicated. But here's the thing. As much as we condemn sinful behavior of any individual, um, we also have to be people who condemn the sinful systems that have contributed to, to that sinful individual behavior. I mean, we, we just have to be real about that. So the easy thing to say, I'll say the easy thing to say is, you know, I don't understand why these people would destroy their own neighborhoods. You know, they're rioting. That's, that's ruined this city. This used to be a good city until this. I mean, they deserve what they get. I think the harder thing to recognize is I don't believe this happened in two weeks. Or I don't think it was necessarily just about Freddie Gray, as tragic as that was. But it's recognizing some of the deeper story of Baltimore and many other cities around our nation. Uh, understanding that Baltimore just a few generations ago used to be a city that offered many solid means of employment. And those of you who, who are born and bred in Hamden, you know what I'm talking about because it's Hamden too. There used to be a lot of opportunities for work. If you wanted to work, and, and maybe it wasn't like upper white collar, but if you wanted a good job that would provide food for your family, a roof over your home, you could do it. But for different reasons, those jobs have disappeared from the city. 
and people wanting to legitimately work are left with fewer and fewer options for employment. Again, I mean, I see that in our neighborhood right here every day. I run into people all the same, man, I want to work. People think I'm lazy. No, I really want to work. Because I think there's, um, and many of, much of this might be fueled by different things, but I think there's this easy temptation to think and picture that stereotypical welfare queen, you know, who loves getting a check. And, and the response to be, you know, why would anyone change what they're doing if they're just going to be given a check every month? I, w- w- what incentive does, ha- does anyone have to change their life? And again, you, you know, we can ask these questions, but I, I think we have to think deeper and recognize that these are systems that didn't just get implemented recently. It's been based on years and years of what I would call dysfunctions. It's years and years worth. So you have the loss of jobs, and naturally the middle class would flee to the suburbs, escape the city when there's no more jobs, and it magnifies the disparity of those who remain. And you couple that with the, the, just the failings of the public school system. And I would say this is not the failure necessarily of administrators or teachers. I think, we've, I think our public school teachers are some of the bravest people I know in this city. But when you are given like a very scarcity of resources, very little support, what are you going to do? <laughs> There's only so much you can do with shrinking budgets and available resources. Again, you know, there are a lot of smart people, even in this room, I'm sure. We can all have opinions on why this might be the case, but it is what it is. You know, so if we have schools in the most challenged areas of our city struggle, um, we've also had an increasing number of jobs shipped overseas. And you just keep adding on increasing despair and hopelessness and anger. And the irony of that, and a lot of us, I think you'll know this, right? As hopeless as some areas of Baltimore, as the city has become, other parts are booming in development. I mean, that's the reality of our city, right? You talk to some people, they're like, oh, man, Baltimore's in trouble. You talk to some people, I love Baltimore. Look at the burgeoning restaurant scene and the club scene. And, man, look at all the houses and redevelopment. This is a fantastic city. Look at all the redevelopment. And, and, you know, the city, what happens with this gentrification, it becomes a cool place for people to want to live. People who had been running, fleeing to the suburbs for so long are actually doing a U-turn saying, hey, I want to live in Baltimore City. That's a great place. I'm an urban dweller. You know, whatever it might be. And, And what happens is that the city obviously wants to continue this development because it's it's financially good for the city, brings good publicity, and realizes that this kind of development that you want, it's probably not going to happen with certain elements being present. That you can't draw tourists to the Inner Harbor, or you can't bring people to buy homes in the city if you have perceived threats of danger. So what happens then in the city, you have this police crackdown on crime. And it's, it's meant to keep a lid on certain impoverished areas. And, and, you know, let's just be real about it. Uh, Baltimore, I mean, it's, what, it's my experience on Tuesday morning. Baltimore is a very interesting city of very distinct neighborhoods, probably like 200, I think like 70 or 280 distinct neighborhoods with very clear lines. And, like, you don't cross a line. So something could be happening in the very next zip code, and it might uh, directly, it might really not impact you. 
You might say, yeah, it's my city, but I have no, like, feel of what's going on here. And when it comes to crime, there has been this feeling in the city, you guys, as long as you do whatever you do, as long as you keep it behind those lines, we're good. We'll crack down. You just keep it over there. Don't let it come over here. So there's a crackdown on crime. And I want to say, this is not an indictment on police. Um, again, I think it's just easy to, again, simplistic. It's just easy to go there and say all police are corrupt. Police are horrible. They're abusing power. I don't think that's the case for all police officers. Um, it's the reality of the systems they work in. Where they've been given certain mandates, you just keep crime in that area and put a big lid on it. And if we need evidence, uh, and again, I have certain, or <laughs> I don't want to call them arguments because need, you need two people to argue, and I just don't do that with any more with people. I just block or whatever. But, um, <laughs> I mean, there, there's still a feeling that, um, you know what, every person is treated exactly the same, and if you would just do what you're supposed to, no one will bother you. Um, so there's like a, a thing called a silent curfew protest last night right here in our own, own neighborhood in Hamden. And, and some of the reports coming out. And again, I wasn't there, so I want to make sure to say I wasn't there, so I didn't witness it. But from what I've heard and corroborated by different sources, uh, of some folks were contacted by African-American leaders in the city saying, hey, Hamden and other neighborhoods, can you guys join us in these protests for people to see that these curfews and what's being uh, put upon us, it, it's really different based upon who you are. <laughs> So you have these, these reports of these folks in Hamden, and, you know, very well-intentioned, nice uh, Anglo, that's white, right, the political, and white folks who are, who are, you know, protesting this curfew silently, very peacefully, and you have reports of the police just very gently, hey, guys, you know, can you make sure, can you just come, let's not do this, come on, I live here too, and I don't want this, you know, let's, let's just try to make things better, and multiple, multiple warnings, multiple chances, say, we really don't want to arrest you, come on, this is all, we all live here together, right, and finally at the end, having to like bang on the police shields and stuff, and, and you know, hey, can we give you a ride home? Yeah, this is not to make light of it, but it's just the reality. Uh, Baltimore is, is a city of many different cities within it. And much of that is based on who you are, what you look like, where you live, where you're found out to be. And, and the reality and the truth, if you just look at the statistics, um, if you are an African-American male, your chance of being incarcerated goes way sky high. And I'm not saying it's, it, incarceration is not necessarily justified. I mean, there might be crimes involved. But when you see the comparison of that along different ethnic lines, there are disparities. So you have a whole generation then of, of African-American males in particular going into the penal system, incarcerated. So what you have then on a, a Monday evening, you have these riots of young men and women, but a lot of young men. What's missing? The old heads. The men who used to, in a way, police their own neighborhoods, teaching young men what it means to be a young man. And they're not there anymore for a lot of them, whether they're in the pine box, whether their life has been lost, or whether they're behind bars somewhere. And again, I'm, I'm not here to debate, like, cause or effect. I'm just saying that's the reality of what's going on here. So the city infrastructure crumbles. My point, we just can't take the simplistic view, just look at things like the riots and looting and say, well, that's the problem. Because the reality, to most of us probably in this room, 
if we're looking at life through a me perspective, um, the riots and the looting are the major problem. That, that's what we get most upset about this week, right? The riots and the looting. I don't want riots in the city that I love. I hate that my family thousands of miles away are calling me and asking me if I'm okay because of these things. I want them to know I live in a great city. And, and what resolution might mean then, as long as we prevent more riots from happening, we'll be okay. But that doesn't mean that we're tackling the deeper systems of brokenness in our city. And I, I want to be really careful. I'm not that smart. So I'm not like standing up here telling you I have all the answers here. Because, you know, plenty of people this week have asked me, so what's the answer then? But I, I, I don't know. I'm just putting this out here. But I'm, what I will say is deeper systemic brokenness, it's going to require deep, sustained investment and in work. It's not simplistic. It's not quick. And that's what justice work is. And it reminds me of the difference between mercy and justice. And, you know, and even as a church, and I want to encourage you, we have it in our bulletin there. We are working towards some mercy efforts in our city to bring uh, supplies and relief and different things. If you want to contribute to that, um, write out a check or drop in, drop in an envelope and write Baltimore relief efforts, and we'll go directly to those works. So we believe in mercy. We believe in helping out. But the thing is, um, there's a difference between mercy and justice. Mercy is doing these nice acts and helping people, giving people some food for a day or some water or supplies. And those are the stuff that will get you on the front of the Baltimore Sun, smiling with the mayor. Look what we're doing to improve our city. Mercy is that. Justice is the stuff that gives you hate mail, maybe. Because <laughs> mercy is how am I going to give a temporary fix? And, and I'm, not, I'm not diminishing that. Justice is what am I going to do to go way back in the beginning of that stream and see what's causing these things? And work on fixing that. And whenever you work to fix existing systems, you will get pushback. You will get some anger. You'll get frustration. I mean, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm like uh, an activist or anything, but just from putting out a few of the things this week, um, and I, I didn't think it would happen like this, but it kind of went viral. So I'm getting like people from lit literally all over the country commenting and stuff. And again, I'm like being called like, uh, yeah, this is one of those social justice preachers. His church must be a full of a church full of hippies and stuff like, you know, who, you know, all this different stuff. Or man, this guy, he doesn't know his Bible at all. This is pitiful. I feel so sorry for his church. You know, what a bunch of pitiful people who have to be led under this kind of e And I'm like, what, really? <laughs> Seriously. And it's been it's been a challenging week. And I'm, I'm reminded that the work of reconciliation, it's not easy. The work of crossing cultures is not easy. But as I mentioned last week, I, I think for us in our generation, reconciliation, particularly culturally, ethnically, class wise, this might be our greatest apologetic of who God is in our lives. And, and as, as challenging as some of these things are to work in our city and try to see justice done in our city, I'm reminded of the importance of why we do what we do as a church in making disciples, in hearing the stories of people like Tiffany and Tita and others whose lives are being transformed here through the church, through God um, calling them and having them follow him. That I, again, I genuinely believe transformation in a city happens when more and more people follow Jesus, when people whose lives... Um, 
used to be for themselves start to become defined by being a citizen of God? What does it mean now that my ultimate, uh, uh, my ultimate affinity is to God? My ultimate allegiance is to God. But here's the thing, guys. I want you to think deeper than just more converts in our city. I mean, that's important. We believe we want more people to come to know Jesus. But I don't, and I don't want to minimize that. But I want, you, I want you to think deeper. Here's what I mean. I want to challenge you here. I want to challenge you here, even if you've been following Jesus forever. What does it look like for your life to be lived through a kingdom perspective? What does it look like for you to pray, your will be done in my life? And I'm, you know, I, I look across this room. I mean, I, and a part of me gets really encouraged. And I don't know if you feel that when you look at me, but when I look at you, I get really encouraged because I see a room full of amazing gifts, amazing talents. I see some of the sharpest people in Baltimore City sitting right here. I see people with entrepreneurial skills. I see people who have the, um, just different educational background. I see different abilities. I see different resources represented here. And what would it look like that we say, God, my, where my whole life I've been taught that these things are for me to build my own thing, build my platform. What would it look like for it to come under your rule, your reign, that all I am is for you? That you would use everything that's a part of who I am for your glory, for your kingdom to be known in Baltimore City and beyond. And, and here's why I'm hitting this so hard, guys. And this is something I've been, you know, really wrestling with this week because the total reality is Village Church in Baltimore, we could totally exist fine without ever engaging in some of these systemic problems in our city. We could. I mean, it's just the reality of who we are. We could easily become basically just a very comfortable um, well-meaning, you know, and, you know, with good songs and all. I mean, I'm not diminishing any of that, but we could easily just be that and not, no one would ever know differently. But I really feel God pressing upon us. What does it look like for us to, us to engage that we are part of the kingdom of God? That as Christ rules in this place, it can't be an accident that he's gathering all of these gifted, talented, smart resourceful people. And what would it look like for our lives as we follow Jesus to say, God, this is yours. God, these skills are yours. These abilities are yours. These passions are yours. Use it to make your fame known in our city. What would it look like for some of you then to invest in this city and, and become an entrepreneur in Baltimore? And you have been blessed. You're a business major. Perhaps you are able to make money. You know systems. You are able to create stuff. What would it look for you to create stuff with the intention? You know what? We need jobs in our city. And I'm going to hire people in our city. I'm going to start up stuff because I'm gifted at that. I know how to do that. Some of you are gifted in the arts and in music and uh, film and other things. What would it look like for you to say, I'm going to bring the glory of God's creation into my city? And display his splendor. Some of you could do many things, but maybe God is pressing on you. Maybe what would it look like for me to invest in the youth of this city and perhaps go into the educational field and talk to some of our teachers because it's not easy. You'll be butting heads against some things that you feel will never change, but it doesn't mean we stop trying. 
instead of saying, just condemning all of these youth, who's going to make a difference? Get into lives. And I'm just going to put this out there because maybe I'm not going to chance to be as passionate about this because things will settle down. I'm going to challenge some of, some of us here. Consider planting long-term roots in this city. Maybe you view yourself as kind of passing through. Maybe it's for school or work, and you're like, kind of, I'll stay here for a little while until it gets in. I'll move on. Maybe God is impressing upon you. Be part of his answer. Pray. Plant roots long-term here. Say, this will be my home. This will be my city. I believe God is calling some of you who've thought of church as just a place to get preaching and just to be fed a little bit. I believe God is genuinely calling some of you to commit to this church as a partner. Don't just receive, but say, how can I be part of what God is doing? And if we believe that more disciples is what's needed, I want to be part of a church that's making disciples in the city. So sign me up. And perhaps that's what God is doing within some of us. And don't just kind of pull, push that away saying, oh, that's just the spur of this week moments. Pray on it. Think on it. Join us today for the uh, intro to partnership class, whatever. But take steps to own these things. And the reality is you look at CNN, you look at the news, um, it's not an easy city. There's a lot of problems. It's not going to be fixed from a nice little parade together, as as nice as that is. It's going to take investment of some people long term into the city. But it's the idea when I look at Christ, who entered this world as a missionary, who went to places where he didn't have to go. We talk about, look at our lives, say, I have nothing to do with the city. There's not much in common. Jesus had very little in common with the broken world he came to save. He entered it. He gave himself. What would it look like for us where the rest of society, normal society, would say, oh, yeah, get away from there as far as you can. Hey, Christ has called us to be light and darkness. I'm going to run into where Christ is needed to be proclaimed. And guys, Jesus here is teaching us how to pray as citizens of this kingdom. As beloved people purchased at a great price. Church, we need to pray. I know that's so and so trite. You're thinking, well, you're a preacher. Of course you're going to tell us we need to pray. Uh, Man, we need to pray. Because I'm going to say this, and this is a conviction I've had with some other pastors earlier on this week. You, we look at what Satan's doing, and it's easy to look on North Ave and Pensy, right? Look there and saying, yeah, you know, Satan's at work there. Oh, look at his looting. Look at his right. Yeah, Satan's rampant. And that's, and that's true, perhaps. But I think in a more subtle way, one of the ways Satan is working is to just drive a giant wedge into the church right now. Using more and more of these kind of situations in Ferguson and New York and Baltimore. And just drive this giant wedge right in the middle of church. And thank God, I don't think I see it in our church, and maybe I'm just not aware of it. Some churches, like on Facebook, it's crazy. You got church members, like, going back and forth at each other, like, in hatred and in anger based on different lines. And, And if we're real, a lot of it's political lines or a lot of it's ethnic lines. And I believe one of Satan's greatest tactics that he's trying to do right now is just put this giant wedge into the church. That we are called by our love for one another. People would know that we follow Jesus. Instead, we are killing ourselves. We are at each other's throats. 
And I'm not saying we all need to be groupthink and think exactly the same. You can have very differing opinions on what's wrong and what needs to be done, but it doesn't mean that we're not united. So we need to pray. We need to pray that God protect us from ourselves. Because we're going to lose sight of what God is doing and wanting to do because we're getting into these arguments with one another. It's ridiculous. It starts with prayer. And again, some people are going to look at Baltimore right now and they're going to say, man, thank God I don't live there. Baltimore's going to hell. But as people of Christ's kingdom, may we declare Christ's reign over Baltimore. Amen? May we declare this is God's city. This is God's city. You know how I know? Because he has his people here representing him. So this is God's city. Let's live that out together. Amen? So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. We're going to sing a little bit, but we're going to pray. And we're going to pray this way just because not everyone might be comfortable praying in just a huge group or individual. Can I ask you to to stand right now? And can you find like a group of like maybe eight, ten people and just get in a circle with one another? It doesn't have to be people you know. I'm not going to ask everyone to pray, so don't worry about it. No one's putting you on the spot. You have to say something. But just get in a circle and grab hands with a a group of people here because one of the best ways that we can pray is to be people of reconciliation, even starting right here in our own community. So can everyone stand up? Find some people around you. Come on, let's move, guys. Find a group and get into little circles all throughout this room. And we're just going to take a couple minutes here to pray together. So find some people. Don't be shy. Get into a little group. And as you do that, this is not, you don't have to introduce yourselves at this time. We're not going to do icebreakers and stuff and meet. This is not the purpose of this. We're just going to pray. We're just going to take a few minutes to pray. And then we're going to sing, receive communion. But I want us to pray. Pray for God's mercy. I sincerely believe it was the prayers of God's saints, even Monday night, holding back wrath that we deserve. I can't believe not a single soul perished during all of these riots and looting. I believe that's God's mercy. We need to intercede for our city. Amen? So let's pray together just in your circles, just one at a time. And not everyone has to pray, but just throw in little prayers. And let's join our prayers here together as we pray for our city right now.
Lord, we cry out to you as a people. We cry out, Lord, because it's so easy to throw just opinions of what's going on and, and, and problems that people have caused. And that might all be true and valid. But, Lord, I believe you're calling your people to pray, to pray humbly. Start with us. Start with our own calloused hearts. Convict us, Lord, of ways that we've enjoyed the benefits of the city and maybe not really had to think about other issues of the city. And start with us and develop empathy within us, Lord. Develop a mission's heart just as we know Christ who did that to us, Lord, that we would do the same in our city, in our world. I pray for our church, God, that, again, there's so much temptation, it's easy for us to just kind of avoid all this going on because it might not directly impact. But, Lord, I feel you're calling us to more. That for such a time as this, perhaps you've even started a church that's seeking to be a place of reconciliation among many different cultures. And that's not easy, Lord. It's just really hard, especially in times like this. So that much more, we need your spirit, Lord, within our midst to knit our hearts in ways that no program will do. So help us, Lord. Help our city, God. God, show mercy in our city. Show mercy in our young ones of our city, Lord. Lord, save these young youth that just the nations are calling thugs and animals, Lord, and beasts and and people with no hope. Lord, we thank you that you look at them and you see hope. So we pray for churches to rise up, for men and women to rise up and not just point fingers, but the Lord get in and pray and act. Forgive your church, Lord. Forgive your larger church that we have gotten distracted, Lord. Forgive your larger church all throughout this nation that we have gotten distracted by politics or by social issues or by class or ethnicity or race. We've gotten distracted. Forgive us, God, and unite us and start with local congregations like this and and all over. Start in these places where we pray with one another, where we get to know one another, where we care for one another, and we care for our cities, Lord. Give us, Lord, and show mercy and grace upon this great city. We thank you, Lord, for being patient and for being kind. We thank you for keeping remnants in the cities. We thank you for raising up maybe people who've become dormant through things like this. And Lord, let your fame and renown be known in Baltimore City. That where the rest of the nation looks on with scoffing and mockery. Lord, may we see great opportunities for hope and redemption. Thank you for using us, Lord. And Lord, we proclaim your rule over this great city because you're a great God. We thank you, God. So let's um, continue to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to declare God's rule. We're going to receive communion as we declare God's victory over sin and death personally and in a community. If you're a Christian, I would encourage you during this time, come receive communion. Take a piece of the wafer, dip it in the cup, and and remember Christ's victory over sin and death. 
If you're not a Christian, perhaps today will be your chance to say, just as God wants to heal a city, he wants to heal my own heart and receive that for yourself. Our transformation is going to start with each of our own individual transformation. So I would welcome you to that. So you can come up both aisles and come up in groups, come up individual, whatever you need to do. And let's continue to worship and pray, receive communion, declare Christ's rule. Thank you.